Smith Day would be amazing as well. Hey, to get started tonight, we are on our fifth hard saving of Jesus. Jesus does not want to be an add-on 
for a settlement. Okay, we're going to look at two questions that Jesus answers by way of this passage, and I'm going to pray for you, okay? Lord, I pray that you would take this passage, your word, and speak to us by your spirit. And I pray that as we consider these questions, we would get the essence of what you're trying to say to us, specifically tonight. Would you give us soft hearts, open ears, and feet that are ready to take action and follow you what you call us to? Amen. Amen. Okay. So Jesus answers um, two questions in this account in the rich young ruler. He answers two questions in this account, and I'll try and bring those to us. He answers two questions in this account of him meeting the rich young ruler. What is the first one? Here it is. What does it take to please God? What does it take to please God? We asked that on campus today, so you might have noticed that. And the second one is another one. What quiets the voice of God? Ooh, hello. Okay, let's go to the first one. What does it take to please God? And so we might say, I don't know, do certain things and avoid others. Dot your eyes, cross your teeth. What Jesus is looking for here with Rich Young Ruler, he's already laid out his resume and said, Oh, I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus says, Okay, all I want is your entire devotion, your complete devotion. And what Jesus wants from us is to say, Complete devotion with no prenuptial agreements. Yes. You know what I'm talking about there? <coughs> Marriage, which is so common. Um, prenuptial agreements are so common among like the rich and famous celebrities. So, you got a lot at stake, and you're getting married, and whatever it doesn't work out. So you get married with a hand behind your back, right? Before you come into a marriage, you have conditions on the marriage that safeguard you. And so I, I looked up just for fun, like twenty of the zaniest, craziest like prenuptial agreements. Some of them were not even um, clean. I couldn't I could repeat them to you in this setting. Jordan said it for that matter. It's part of the same tonight. Um, but some of them are just kind of funny. Here's one of them. I would choose the right to have as many pets as I want. I'm pretty sure that was a woman and it probably was cats. That's a pretty good thing. Here's another one. Another production agreement. The right to opt out on all vacations that include the in-laws. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to put my love on the in-laws and I'm going to put that in-laws and I'm going to put that in-laws and I'm going to But Jesus is not down for prenuptial agreements. And he, you can hide things with people, you can hide things with Jesus. And if you got your, your fish behind your back and you're holding something, he knows it all day. Right. And he sees it all day and call it out. Okay, what quiets the voice of God? What quiets the voice of God? Polymorous relationships. Open marriage kind of relationships. Polymorous is open marriage. Where you don't hide an affair, you disclose, I have another partner. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I'll have one too. We're good. It's an open marriage. People can come and go from it. And that's accepted and becoming more and more common. Um, what quiet is the voice of God? That's our question. 
Jesus is not down for an open marriage. But I'm talking about your relationship with him. He doesn't want any other lovers around. And that's a different way for you to hear that, but he doesn't want any other lovers around. Um, God's silence, we have to understand this, God's silence does not mean he's okay with some of our particular behaviors. That's right. Okay, so this is how we play this out, guys. This is how we do this. Um, we all know from experience. But we can say something like this. Well, I feel like there's some conviction about this, this particular thing I was doing. So I asked God about it a couple times. And the first couple times he said no. But the third time I asked, he was silent. So I think it's okay now. No. It's not okay. There's silence because God has left you. And he doesn't tolerate any other lovers. He's not into open marriage concept. It's him, no one else. There's silence because he left. Jesus is not okay with a double wife. Devoted to him on one day and then not the next. Okay? I'm talking to all of us, we understand this because we've tried these things, right? So if we look at it in Scripture, Jesus actually destroyed, I mean, he destroyed that double life with his own life. So whether he was in the synagogue, which is a place of worship, or on the streets, all of life for Jesus was devoted to his father. He's always. Um, this reminds me of, of being on a mission trip in the Netherlands many years ago with my good buddy and missionary friend Steve Crater. I think high off at UVO for a while and served the Netherlands as a missionary. Um, we were on the we've been on the field on, in the Netherlands in Europe about a week. Um, and we determined that we were gonna have a day off. So on our day off, uh, we went to the Hard Rock Cafe in Amsterdam. And it, it was just like, man, this, this is a really cool scene here in Europe and um, it's fun to be with these friends. And then my buddy Steve starts meeting these new guys. I'm like, why are you bringing these new guys into this? It's just us hanging out. This is the day off. And he introduces me to this guy, Portuguese Pete. I mean, his name is Peter, and he's Portuguese. So, so Steve called him Portuguese Pete. And there's another guy he brought into our circle. He was Spanish Dave. He was Dave from Spain. Right? And, and then my buddy Steve starts sharing Jesus with him. And I'm, I'm kind of like, bro, we're like on the day off. What are you doing? And then I realized, no, this is just the outflow of Steve's heart. This is just who he is. And I realized he didn't have an on-off switch for his relationship with God. He just honored his presence wherever he was. Whether we were like with the refugees that we were before, the day before, or we were in the Hard Rock Cafe, it was all the same to him. And I was like, oh, this is actually the way it should be. And so Jesus is where Steve got that from. It was the same for Jesus. Uh, this is so cool. Of the 37 miracles Jesus performed in the Gospels, only three were actually done in a place of worship. worship. Did you catch that? That means 34 of the miracles that he did were done in day-to-day life out among people. And so you can just say this. All of his life was consecrated. All of his life was consecrated. None of it was held back. Specifically in John 8, there are eight miracles recorded at least I observed, and none of them are in the synagogue. The place of worship. You want to look at them real quick? Specifically? John chapter 2. Water to wine. First miracle for Jesus. At a party. A wedding celebration. 
John chapter 4, Jesus heals an official son, where on the streets in Cana of Galilee. John chapter 5, he heals an invalid at Bethesda, where at the pool of Bethesda. John chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000. Where? On the mountainside. Why not? In Galilee. John chapter 6, Jesus walks on water. Where? In the church? No. See, Galilee, right? Where you could walk on water. John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind with mud. Near Pool of Siloam. Near Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Some of you raised from the dead in church. But he did that at graveside outside of Bethlehem, right? John chapter 21, last one, the miraculous catch. Where? See, Galilee. Okay, so what we, what we see, Jesus was just always about his father's business. Any place, anytime, anywhere was as good as any other. Okay? But we, I'm pointing this out because we all have a tendency away from this. I do myself. We categorize things and we have our spiritual life put in a box separate from other parts of our life. Okay? So this was first challenged for me by a friend one time when he said, hey, Jason, what's more spiritual? Spiritual. Like you go into small group washing the dishes. I'm like, oh, oh, wait, what are you asking? I'm like, oh, if I wash the dishes, what? Maybe that could be. I could be like singing worship or quoting scripture or, hey, forget even that. That's my roommate Steve loves to have the same clean. Oh, what if I just do it for him? Because I love him. And maybe that's like honoring a brother, and that's spiritual. So I was like, hmm, okay. So I'm going to ask you guys the same thing. What is more spiritual going to your accounting class or fighting in a fire? Jamie Mark probably feels like I'm picking on you because he has a town. Not kind of random and landed that way. Friday Night Fire, if you're not familiar with that, we announced earlier that's student-led worship on Friday nights. Yeah. Well, maybe we just can only say, oh, well, going to the worship service, of course, but, I mean, numbers represent order. Where does order come from? God. Right? Right. right. You can be called by God and be accountant and do it for God with all your heart. So, what's more spiritual? Raising the hands in worship or raising the hands in catch touchdown in the world? Life. Oh, that's kind of hard because our pride is being that pretty well, right? But still, I mean, the point stands. You can play football with all your heart and glory, right? That's right, yeah. So we do the separation sometimes. And the scripture, you know, see that Colossians 3 17, it challenges whatever you do, whatever, this is Paul talking whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it. All. You part of it and all of it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, what is that? That's what we call true devotion. True devotion. I'm going to get some help from Charles Finney, the old revivalist. He has some really helpful thoughts on true devotion. Um, and he says this, we can understand what true devotion is by understanding what it is not. So thank you all for that. So we're going to start there, you guys ready? What true, true devotion is not? Devotion does not consist of reading the Bible, nor praying, nor attending meetings. You're like, huh? 
and continue. Devotion does not consist of reading the Bible, or praying, or attending meetings. These may, or may not be, specific instances of devotion. Catch that? But are not to be regarded as devotion in itself. Okay, then what is true devotion? Devotion is the state of the heart in which some things. No, in which everything, Friday night fire and flight football, our whole life, being and possession, are a continual, continual offering to God. That is there continually devoted to God. True devotion must be the supreme devotion of the will, extending out to all we have in our to all times, places, employments, thoughts, and feelings. That's true devotion. So then he does this fun thing, and he invites us to illustrate true devotion by considering the life of a pastor. Maybe some shots and fire to me tonight. He asks the following questions, and I'm, I'm going to read these in such a way that I'm asking these to you, okay? And you can be like, uh huh, yes. You can not, maybe say yes. Amen. You ready? Okay. He's inviting us to illustrate true devotion by considering the life of a pastor. He asks this question Shouldn't a pastor in preaching the gospel have one purpose in mind? To glorify God by the salvation and growth of the people he's called to serve. Does that sound legit? Yeah. Okay. And a pastor, since he claims to be a servant of God, shouldn't he study, preach, and perform? all his duties, not for himself, nor for his salary, nor to increase his popularity, but only to glorify God. Does that sound right? Okay, so then then he states this. If he does not have this singleness of heart, this service cannot be acceptable to God. For it is not an offering to God. It is not a devotion to God. It is a devotion to himself. So he brings it home. Devotion then in a pastor is that state of mind in which all his pastoral duties are performed for the glory of God, and where his whole life is a continual offering to God. Make sense? Got it down? Okay. He continues, and he asks the question again, shouldn't a minister be as devoted to God in everything else as he is in praying or preaching? Then he stops asking a question and makes a statement. He says, he not only ought to be, but really is only as devoted in the pulpit as he is out of the pulpit. That's what I did in my shop part of Yeah. But he only takes his shots at Sam instead of the second, okay? <laughs> but what if a pastor plays in the city softball league? This is my question to you, Yango Penny said. So what if a pastor plays in the city softball league and he's terrible with the umpires? He's cursing again, he's complaining about every call. And then when he loses, he's a poor loser. Does that not affect you the next time you're in reach? Yeah. Okay. So bring it home. So what if Sam Pitt plays at Jamarillo as Sam used to say? What if when he plays at Jamarillo's, he's a jerk? He just is. There's no way around it. He's a jerk. Then you can conclude, if he's influenced by selfish motives during the week, Aren't those same motives in his heart when he preaches at home? Wow. Oh. 
but that is not sandpaper. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. 
And he knew that he wouldn't have it unless he laid down his money. He had to have his greatest affection. His money was his treasure. His wealth was his treasure. So Lord, tonight, would you speak to us along these lines? Thank you that you spoke to the rich young group, and I invite you, even as you have already, to speak to each of us tonight. When we make Jesus our treasure, we become God's treasure. When we make Jesus our treasure, to tell points this out and it's true, we become God's treasure. So why does Jesus talk to the rich young man like he does? Why does he talk to us like he talked to him? Jesus challenges us so that we might become God's treasure. And experience the love of the Father like Jesus does. He's inviting us into the greatest relationship of all time. He just wants you and I to have what He has in the Father the greatest love possible. All Jesus is doing is challenging us so that we might make Him our treasure. And become God's creature. Yes. The way we're going to close tonight is we're going to get in small groups. I'm going to pray once more. And we're going to get in small groups. And some of you, the Holy Spirit's already spoken to you. And it would be appropriate to send with your small group to say, hey, I think the Lord just made this clear to me that I need to let go of this. And then I want to challenge rest of us. Um, it may not be so clear to you, but what if you were willing and brave enough to ask your small group if it's made clear to them what your treasure is? Uh-oh, right? <laughs> okay, Lord, would you help us? And if you put us in community and us brothers and sisters, and then we we grow in relationship with you, but so much of that happens through each other. And I pray that you would continue what you're doing tonight and you'd speak to us. And help us to be honest and real with you. Help us to listen to you. Help us to be still enough to hear you. And as you speak to us, help us to obey you. And Lord, I pray over us that we would trust you. That you're not being difficult, but say you're being difficult. You actually know what's best. You do know better than we do. You see a bigger picture than you do. You're smarter than you are. And you're altogether good. So would you help us to listen to you and respond to you? And would you help us, Lord, to be willing to listen to each other and hear your voice through our neighbors, through our brothers and sisters. In the name of Jesus. Amen.